Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you so much for who it points us to and the way that it opens before us to be able to be saved, to be regenerated, to have the righteousness of Christ applied to us and our sins atoned for, and then eventually to have our bodies resurrected because our souls have first been resurrected in the gospel. Such an amazing, amazing plan that only you can come up with. And I'm just in awe every time I, I open the word in, uh, in my own personal studies and, and just dig in and read, uh, just the, the wealth that's here is just mind-blowing. Uh, and, uh, and so sometimes it's so much, it's hard to feel like that this morning. Um, it's hard to make sense of it, but I pray that you, by your spirit, would help us to zero in on what you want us to know this morning, to learn and uh, to grow together as we look at the glory, your glory in the face of your son. We pray for forgiveness of sin this morning and wash us again in your word, change our perspectives from the temple to the eternal. We pray this in Jesus' name. <clears throat> okay, well, um, very lively class last week. I enjoyed that. I hope you did uh, as well. Uh, as we as we dug into Romans, uh, I said dug in. It was more like a flyover. Uh, you know, I say I say that we're walking through John, right, and not driving through. Um, but we did sort of a. And we have to do that this morning too with the part at least that I'm that I'm doing. Uh, there's so much to say uh, that it's it's more like a not even a drive through. It's a flyover. But we did that with Romans uh, nine through 11 last two sessions okay and the reason again for that just in case you're wondering I don't like to it's if when you're studying the Bible it's very important that you know context is king right you you have to you have to you're looking at a particular especially a problematic text or versus really stubbing your toe look at the context around it you know to help you un untie that knot so to speak <clears throat> but scripture interprets scripture, right? So other parts of scripture are very important in helping you understand this part. Um, but I realized that especially in a in a teaching format like what we have here, that's why I like to go to the trouble putting notes in front of you because I'm just saying it, it's hard to follow it, right? But if you see it and you can hear it both, it, it tends to be easier. And I also try not to have it where uh, this morning in the session, we've got several scriptures we're going to skip through. Uh, but I have them all on slides, right? So you don't have to flip and turn and, you know, where's that? You know, I didn't hear it, you know, kind of thing. So the point is, I don't try to jump around a whole lot to other scriptures. Nothing wrong with doing that. There's a lot of scriptures that deal with the subject. But we, we took the time, two sessions last time, to go into Romans 9 through 11 and sort of unpack that. And the reason is, that Paul in those three chapters is dealing with the same issue that John raises here in our text, right? And so uh, John chapter 12, verse 37, which kind of sets the tone for us uh, for, the, for the rest of this part of the, of the chapter, says, though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, right? And what John is doing is he's, He's trying to help us understand 
that contrary to what you would a, a rational person would think the nation especially the people the most learned smart intelligent scripturally educated people missed the messiah right they not only missed him but they hated him they didn't want anything to do with it and they to the point where they coerced the romans we're going to see that when we get to chapter 18 and, and Pilate knew he was being played but he really didn't have a choice but they coerced the romans into crucifying him right and so john has to deal with this issue and paul does the same thing in romans 9 through 11. he, he unpacks that in even greater detail and he shows us in those three chapters the past the present and the future in God's plan for the nation. How do they fit in with the church, you know, and, and this whole thing, okay? And I mentioned to you then, I'll say it again, uh, after having myself gone through those chapters back years ago when we went through Romans, remember in this class, we went through Romans, and, and, and having to go through those chapters that unfortunately it seems like a lot of, you don't hear a lot about those chapters. They're sort of, they're not popular, I guess, or whatever. But having gone through that, um, I now realized that, that what Paul is doing is giving you sort of the golden key to unlock the treasure box of prophecy. What he's telling us there is that prophecy in Scripture, uh, especially the Old Testament prophecies that relate to the nation and to the covenants and so forth, <laughs> is sort of God's telling in advance of what God plans to do in these circumstances so that we know that this is God's plan because only God can tell the future in precise detail, right? And so he does that, but he ties it to the nation Israel. And Paul calls it the mystery of the church, right? The age of the Gentiles. The mystery is that unprophesied, unrevealed in the Old Testament is this age of the church where there's effectively a pause. Paul says that God has has hardened Israel in part until the full age of the Gentiles has come in, right? And so God is like, sort of hit the pause button on his prophetic calendar while he deals with the church. He builds the church and he brings Gentiles from every tongue, tribe, and nation, which happens to be in fulfillment of some Old Testament prophecies, right? To Abraham, that the Lord would bless all peoples through his seed. <clears throat> okay, so it's not completely, but the how. God does that was unseen in the Old Testament. So anyway, we've seen that, right? So Paul goes into this great explanation. John doesn't do that, but what John does here is he answers that starting in verse 38. So this would be on our outline. This would be point number one on our outline the notes. Okay, so the very last page on your notes, point number one that we are just, I'm just recapping quickly, okay? The rejection of Jesus by the Jews has been God's plan all along, okay? All John is, is doing here, in, in just a few verses, Paul unpacks in chapters, right? But what John is doing is saying, look, for any God-fearing Jew out there who believes that Jesus had to have been the Messiah, there's no way he could do these miracles without God's approval, right? I mean, the miracles verify where he's from and his message, right? There's no doubt of that. And yet they're struggling with, yeah, but he's not the Messiah that we were told to expect based on what we have been taught in the scriptures, right? 
if they're still struggling with that, John simply says this, and he quotes twice from Isaiah, this is God's plan all along. It's not that Jesus was overcome <coughs> by the might of the Roman Empire when they came to arrest him, or the, the Jews and their scheming, and they just were so smart, and they just outfoxed, you know? has nothing to do with that. It's been God's plan all along, right? And it's an important insight because all of the Gospels, all four of them, quote heavily from the Old Testament, right? And that's what we're dealing with in the first part of your notes here. We have all that tables and, and all this kind of stuff, okay? The whole point of that is to help us kind of put our brains into their brains to see it from their perspective at the time and why it's so important. By the way, the book of Hebrews also that's it's really its whole purpose is to is to show those Jews who have an honest you know question about this the superiority of this Jesus the one that came as opposed to angels or to you know the the, the Old Testament prophets and Moses and as great as they were he is better right and 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 not just your rabbi's conception of what Messiah was supposed to be but the actual one that came. See? And the book of Hebrews unpacks that in great detail as well. Um, I'm always amazed when I think about the fact that there are so many messianic churches around coming up. It's a, it's a fairly recent phenomenon, but God knew long ago that some of the Jews toward the end would start accepting Jesus as their Messiah, our Messiah. But uh, so you got Jews in the who are just straight Jews go to synagogue. You got Jews who go to the Messianic congregations. You got Jews who go who are integrated basically into the Gentile church. You got three categories of Jews, and God is working through all three categories mm -hmm. to bring uh, the nation to Himself in the end. Right now, those people are called the remnant. Yeah, that's what Paul right. calls them in those chapters. Right, the remnant. But yes, you're right. Eventually, when when Paul says. You know, all, so all Israel will be saved. He doesn't mean all all Israelites through all time, because he opens up that whole thing by saying not they are not all Israel who are of Israel, right? In other words, right. he's saying don't get confused with the terms. You know, just because you're biologically a Jew doesn't mean. In fact, that was what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus as well, right? You need to be born again, Nicodemus. Your genealogy in Abraham is not the point. You need a new heart. You need new genealogy. Right, and Paul argues the same thing. But he's what he's saying is that at the end, the nation itself, as a nation, eventually will admit that he's the Messiah. And here's here's the thing: they have to do that. Why? Oh, yeah. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. God is not going to fulfill those temporal covenants to their fullest some other way. He's doing it through his son. And when the nation says, we will not have this man to reign over us, his hand is effectively, I mean, God can overcome that, right? But but in his providence, that's part of his plan. Okay, I'm going to put that on pause. 
and I'm going to open up the gates to the Gentiles. Same gospel. Same gospel. All deals with all gospel. Yes. It's amazing, isn't it? That's why I call it that whole thing by saying, who has been on the mind of the Lord? Who has been his instructor, right? You know, I mean, none of us would cook this up. We're privileged we're met, to enter into this land, this promised land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was, anyway, so that was all last time, okay? So we're back in our text here in John 12, okay? Um, and I promise we're going to stay here for just sort of, there is a one verse in Proverbs we'll look at this morning. So uh, let's finish up what, we, what we've been looking at here, okay? So we've looked at verses uh, 38 and 30, uh, 38, so 37 and 38, and we kind of paused that, right? And then we went to Romans 9 through 11. Now we're back in verse 39, okay? So um, John uh, 12, verse 39, he says, Therefore they could not believe. Whoa, 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 what? <clears throat> yeah, it, it, yeah, rub your eyes. Yeah, that says that. You got to read the context. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, remember, the gospel is not an intellectual problem. It's a hard problem, right? These were very, very smart. Sometimes we, we tend to think, because Jesus was so hard, perhaps, on the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the high priests, the scribes, the lawyers, all these guys that John collectively calls the Jews, uh, we tend to demean them. And, you know, they were smart people. They were very smart people. Um, and not all of them had an evil heart taken up by greed and power. Uh, John is making that clear to us here. In fact, that's the second um, point in our outline. He's going to say that, but it wasn't because it wasn't because they were too stupid either, right? It's that their eyes are blinded by God. It was in His plan that they, as a nation, reject Him. Okay. And that's prophesied all the way back in Isaiah. And so then it continues in verse 39, for Isaiah again said, right? So the first quote comes from Isaiah 53, okay? And this one comes from Isaiah 6. Um, two very famous chapters in Isaiah, yeah, right? Okay, um, so verse 40, uh, John 12, 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Remember, Paul deals with this, this well, that's not fair, objection to God-hardening hearts in the chapters that we looked at, right? And, and the illustration he uses there is Pharaoh. And he says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but not directly. God doesn't put evil in our hearts. He doesn't have to. We're born with hearts that are evil. And the way God hardens their Pharaoh's heart is the same way he hardened the Jews' heart here, hearts. Okay? He is simply by letting them run the natural course on their own. Okay? He has to, and I know this is controversial <clears throat> in some Christian circles, but it's what the Word of God teaches. He has to actively unharden our hearts by taking out Isaiah 36, right? That, oh, there's a new covenant coming. It says in Isaiah 36, and I will take out your heart of stone and what? Bring your heart of flesh. 
I'll wash you from your sins. Read us a beautiful passage. I think it's around verse 25, Isaiah 36. Okay. Why? Because unless he does that, we all are born with hardened, stubborn hearts that can't see God, don't care about his glory. Our conception of God, we know there's a God by the external witness in creation and the internal witness in our heart. We know that. And, and even, even the Jews, even they have the scriptures and they acknowledge God. But the God that they had was not the God who came, right? They wanted a different Messiah. They didn't want the one that God sent, who reveals the heart of the Father, who loves sinners, right? That was one of the big criticisms of Jesus. He eats with sinners, right? Um, but they didn't want that. They, they wanted a God of their own making. And I say again, I think this is such a great litmus test. If your God always agrees with you, you have an idol. If your Jesus always agrees with you, you have an idol. Okay? We have to submit to him, not the other way around. But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do that. And, and so what John what John's saying, <coughs> Paul is saying same thing there. Is that this is God's plan all along? He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. How? Just by not working there in, in, in their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. If they had done it, this would have been a very different outcome. But because the nation has rejected him uh, and, and instead coerced the Romans and, and put him to death on the cross, what looked to temporal eyes like the biggest failure turns into the greatest glory for both the Father and the Son. Because now Jesus' kingdom, you know, a king with no subjects is, is not a king, right? He has to have subjects, right? And, and so he first has to pay the price so that our sin can be forgiven so that the regeneration can happen and we have new hearts now and now he gets to welcome in all those sheep from both flocks right and be one sheep one flock one shepherd a lot of metaphors there right they're all helping us understand this main point so it's been god's plan all along uh, let's go on to verse 40 um 41 is the end of our first point of the outline Isaiah said these things when he saw his glory and spoke of him. All right, well, this comes from Isaiah 6. And what is going on in Isaiah 6? Anybody remember? Isaiah 6? Isaiah 6. Yeah. I know you know. It's, a, it's made a strong impression on Dad. He, he's preached about this <coughs> chapter many, many well, times. Isaiah was called, and he was called to a work uh, that wouldn't be terribly fruitful. Because Isaiah, because God was going to close the eyes and ears of the Jewish people, but God still told Isaiah to speak to them. Speak anyway. Yeah, as a warning. That's always encouragement as a preacher. Go and preach to these people, and by the way, they're not going to listen to you right. because I'm going to make it so they don't listen to you. But do it anyway. <laughs> but contrast that with Jonah. Yeah. And the preaching of Jonah. Yeah, really. Sounding thing. Yeah. The reluctance was in the prophet there, not in yeah. the audience, right? <laughs> so but okay, so Isaiah 6, real quick, okay, um, because this is really cool. Um, Isaiah 6 is where he says, In the in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high on the throne, right? And the robe, the train of his robe filled the temple. 
right? And you have the cherubim flying around. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And it's, it says that the, every time they spoke, the place trembled, you know? You ever been in a, in a movie theater and, and maybe maybe uh, the theater next door has, it has, the, has the Super Bose system, right? And you hear those bass notes over there when, the, you know, Jurassic Park, right? the guys, the dinosaurs walking, you know, and, and your popcorn and your drinks, you know, like that, right? Well, the, the temple is like that, and, and, and it's shaking and rattling with with the authority and the, and, the, and the message that the angels are thundering out, and Isaiah is, right, scared to death. The first thing he sees is God's holiness. The second thing he sees is his unworthiness. Woe is me. I am undone. Um, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips and live on people of unclean lips. What John is telling us here, get this. Now, let's look at that verse again. Okay, verse 41. Isaiah said these things when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who was sitting on that throne? According to what John interprets for us here. Well, look at the pronouns, right? Who's the he? Go back to 37. He had done so many signs, right? Who, who, who? Come on. Jesus. Right? Therefore, they could not believe. Verse 41 again. Isaiah said these things when he, that's Isaiah, saw his glory. Whose glory? Who are the pronouns referring to here? Jesus. Wow. Wow. How about that? All right. I'll leave that with you. There. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is astounding. It's pretty amazing. It's wonderful, really. All right. So, second point on our outline. Okay. The fear of man keeps many Jews from confessing Jesus. Okay. So, this would be verses 42 and 43. Okay. Somebody read that for us. I'm going to do a lot of talking. 42 and 43. John, well, nevertheless, many even rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. All right. see that a lot today. Yeah, yeah you do. <clears throat> How does this verse start? In this, this is ESV. It uses the word nevertheless. Yeah. Okay. Subordinate conjunction. Uh, verse uh, 42. No, second mine says yet. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which, that word itself sets in contrast yeah, yeah. what he's about to say here, or what he's saying in these two verses, with what he said before. Right? Okay. So, very important. John is trying to help us understand, look, even though as a whole, I've been lassoing this whole big group of Pharisees and Sadducees. He doesn't use the word Sadducees. Other Gospels do. He uses the word chief priests, but they're basically synonymous. The same word, okay? Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, high priests, the experts in the law, the lawyers, the scribes, all of these people 
he lassoes the whole group with this word Jews. And even though he's been sort of treating them as sort of one big group, sort of you might say painting with a broad brush, what John is saying here now is, listen, I want you to understand it wasn't everybody in that group that rejected him. There were some, there were many, in fact, who were his disciples, but secretly. Okay? He's, he's going to use that very same, hold your finger there, go a couple pages to the right. We're skipping through a lot, but I want you to see how, how he's consistent in this. Um, going to um, chapter 19, very, very near the very end of chapter 19, Jesus has already been crucified. Uh, his side is pierced, and now we're talking about the burial. This starts in verse 38, okay? So John 19, verse 38. It says this, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, and we have our same phrase again here, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate who might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Notice the next verse as well. Who else came with him? Nicodemus. Also, who earlier came to Jesus by night. Where is that? Chapter 3, right? Remember the whole discussion, you must be born again. John 3, 16, that all comes out of that conversation with Nicodemus. So those two guys particularly are named by John as examples of this remnant. Even in this group of leaders in the Jewish nation who as a whole rejected him, rejected Jesus, there are there's still a remnant. God saved a remnant out of that. Even of these smart, elite people. So Paul says, you know, considering your calling, brethren, not many are wise, not many are noble, but he doesn't say not any, right? There, thank God that he has saved some throughout church history, some of the smartest people. I mean, some some of these people are, are just incredibly intelligent. When you when you look at the work of of, of some of the theologians have done in the past, you know, C.S. Lewis, Lewis John Calvin, John. Knox, Luther, Luther, some of John MacArthur today. I mean, how many books? Over well over 100 books. It's just like Great Lori. Great Lori. <laughs> yes, very talented people, right? Yes. R.C. Sproul, some dad. I put Sproul up against um, just about any of the communicators in church history as far as, as just his amazing ability to comprehend super complex ideas but to bring them down into a very accessible way of communicating and helping you get your arms around some of these things. Um, so thank God that he's done it. And not just intelligent people, very wealthy people as well. Um, so it, so don't get caught up in this. I, I say that and I make a point out because some people have mistakenly have, again, this false gospel that God that Jesus was here only for the poor, right? And the downtrodden and all that's all he focused on. No, no, no. He loved, he loved everybody. He was here to call everybody, including the smart and intelligentsia of his day, right? And here are two examples right here. And John is helping us understand that. But what he's also helping us understand is this thing that he calls the fear of the of the in this in this verse here, verse 42, <clears throat> he says a fear of the Pharisees. In the verses we just looked at in chapter 19, it says the fear of the Jews. It's the same thing, okay? The Bible calls this the fear of man. 
Uh, that's if you want to sort of write down a phrase. That's that's how this doctrine is summarized: is the fear of man, and it warns us about this time and time again. Okay, so I told you we wouldn't jump around a whole lot, but didn't say not at all. So uh, hold your finger there, um, uh, back in chapter twelve of John, and let's jump back to Proverbs um, twenty nine twenty five and. When you get there, somebody would read that, please. 29.25. Proverbs 29.25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Here's that same phrase again, okay? Here we have a condensed nugget of wisdom to help us unpack this a little bit, okay? In, in, in typical um, Jewish... Um, poetic style here we have a, uh, a, a, a sorry, use my fancy term but I can't think of it this morning but we have we have two contrasting statements right here's the thing to avoid and in its place do this okay don't do that instead do this right and scripture does that a lot right it doesn't the Bible is not a whole list of hey don't do this don't do this and don't do that have a nice day, right? No, it's instead of this, take this off, stop doing this, and in this place, put this on, right? We have that here, okay? What is the thing to avoid in this verse? Or the warning? The fear of man, right? What is the thing in its place to put there? Trust in the Lord. So that tells us, because... <clears throat> We get kind of wrapped up in this term fear. What does that mean? Is it emotional fear? What do y'all think? What 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 is the? You're talking about the fear of the Lord. No, no. In this case, the fear of man. Oh, okay. okay. Well, it's the same concept, but it's fear of man versus the fear of the Lord. Well, in verse forty-two, it says, "For fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue," so they. They want to be excommunicated, essentially, by the Pharisees, <clears throat> by the religious leaders. They want to be accepted. They want to be accepted. Yeah. Right? We don't say that today also. Oh, yeah. Because we want to make sure that, that people approve of us. And so that's why a lot of times people tend to have a tendency not to be bold and out loud about the Lord. You know, what they're going to think about me, what they're going to think about me. But, you know, uh, it's some, we're here temporal. If we, that's our that's our job. We go out and talk to people and share a testimony. And you know, if you, if you find somebody that's on the same plane plane with you about computers or whatever, you know, it's easy conversation. But you come up with somebody that you know that loves the Lord, and you're talking about the Lord all day long and share things. If you find somebody that's not, that's real brash about something like that, it's hard to communicate with them. So people have a tendency to. Yes, because again, we're we're looking for approval. Yes, we approval. Oh, look at them. Yes. But a man um, think about even now in other countries that people and even back then, I mean, there was downright fear um, of just being killed, and maybe even not yourself, but your entire family, which even happens now. I mean, and the absolute cruelty that happens to people, not just yeah, your livelihood and different things like that, and they kick you out and go someplace else, you know, whatever it is like today. 
I guess you could do that. But I mean, it was serious business. I mean, you know, Paul sometimes when I think about how he he wrote, you know, from the prison, and those were disgusting places and cruel places. It doesn't mean that he was they just sent him in the corner, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, but I mean those were ruthless places and then the stocks that they had. So I mean this was real fear. Uh, fear of these people that were capable of and were the authority and they were able to demand that this happen to you. Um, so even now today, you know, and, and uh, you know, even it, it's just amazing to me because, you know, when I think of fear of the people nowadays, they're just like, back off, you know, doing our own thing, you do your own thing kind of thing. But back then, that was a really big deal. And in other countries, it still is, even more so. I mean, than this year. In our country, here, in, in, in our country it's, it's possible to lose your job. Lose your job? If, you mean, take, just, if you take a stand, um, biblically, against, against certain sins and so forth. And I know you all know that. So let me help us unpack this a little bit, okay? Because the principle stated in Proverbs here is very important great uh, vital one and then we'll go back to John and see how it applied in that situation the, the principle or the, the, the nugget of wisdom about wisdom earlier the nugget of wisdom here is this whose opinion of you do you value more man's or God's that's what it said whose opinion of you do you value more man's or God's if you value people's opinion of you higher than God's, that's a snare. It looks good, but it's going to trap you. It's going to cause some problems. But Proverbs opens by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? And I say that I had, a, a, years ago, I had a conversation with an unsaved uncle <clears throat> who was hung up on this. And he was like, I don't fear God. What are you talking about God? You know, shaking, coming to his presence, shaking in fear, you know, I don't I don't want to fear. I don't want God like that that I have to be afraid of. And he was thinking emotionally. What he missed was what, what scripture means by that is not necessarily that you're terrified of God. There may be some actual emotional response there when you really understand who God is. But it, what it's saying though is valuing his judgment of you even above your own, of yourself, right? And Paul says that uh, as well in 2 Corinthians when he's writing. He says, I, he says, um, your opinion of me is, to the to Corinthians, it says, your opinion of me is, is of little value. In fact, I don't even judge myself, yeah. really. My conscience, you know, as far as my conscience is clear, but that doesn't clear me. It's God's evaluation of me that matters, right? And what it is, this is another way of saying respecting God as the supreme judge, as the only one whose valuation of your life matters. Not even your own. Okay? So that's that's in a nutshell. That's the fear of man versus the fear of God. Really important principle. I think that word to me brings that idea of respecting God or whatever into the realm of personal application that actually affects your life. Mm -hmm. It's not just a theory. It's something that actually affects your, your I know what it's like to be scared of God. He is worthy of our fear. And he's not going to be toyed with. Yeah. And, and I've tried to do that. 
we, we, we get it mixed up though sometimes too. Very, very powerful people or people who's who you really respect and you want them to, you know, to like you, you know, and to approve of you. Um, and that's what's happening here. If we can go back to John chapter 12. Um, Nevertheless, even uh, many, even of the authorities believed in him. Okay, so they believed in him. But for fear of the who, in this case, there's a specific group that's named. Pharisees. They did not confess it. They didn't agree. They didn't speak out. Why did John do this? Why did he name, why did he name the Pharisees particularly? What's at stake here for these authorities that believe in Jesus? They're jobs. They're jobs. Remember back in chapter 9, when Jesus healed the man who had been born blind, John tells us in that context, it was the Pharisees that questioned him. And it was the Pharisees who had put the threat out there that if anyone claimed to be a disciple of Jesus, they were to be put out of the synagogue, right? We read that, and we, we don't understand what that means. It's really like, oh, big deal. I'll go to the next synagogue. What do you want? Because what that actually means is, and they had three degrees that they could that they could do this. It could be a temporary thing, you know, sort of a high, medium, low <laughs> punishment, okay? What he's referring to there is, is the high level. In other words, it's a permanent kicking out of the synagogue, which was more than just getting kicked out of a church. It means being excommunicated from the entire Jewish life. You couldn't, anybody who did business with you or seen doing business with you, even family members who were also Jews, right, would be at risk if they're seen associating with you. It's closest thing I can think of today in our culture is a shunning by the the. Amish people, right? When they shun somebody in their community and that person is cut off from the community. That's effectively what's happening here. So so you're exactly right, Larry. Their jobs are on the line. These are people who have a lot at lot at stake. Can I say Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus both are, are given to us in scripture as wealthy, powerful, influential, smart people. And they had a lot more to lose than Peter and John. Materially. Just saying. It's true. Okay. So we see Nicodemus, particularly John holds him up. He's not like these, these young boys from the sticks up in you know blue-collar Galilee who are happy to follow Jesus and don't have a whole lot to lose anyway, maybe. Um, not to belittle that, but, but but as opposed to Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus takes a lot of time throughout the book to get to chapter 19 where he's willing to step up, and he and Joseph have been talking, I guarantee you. How did they know to meet? They knew, they each of them secretly knew that he was the Messiah, and each of them knew that the other one knew, right? So they had these conversations, and they had to plan ahead of time, and Joseph is like, it's time to take a stand. Let's go get the body. I've got this tomb. Nicodemus says, I'll bring the spices, right? These guys, they're bold. They're bold. But God is working, and the point is, that the gospel isn't limited to the poor and the downtrodden. God is bringing all kinds of people to himself. All kinds of people. And John is saying that here. It wasn't everybody who was part of this group that rejected Jesus, okay? Uh, there were some, even in the, even in the um, 
the Sanhedrin. Here are two members of the Sanhedrin who didn't consent to their deed. That's, that's they're, they're struggling with, I've got all this to lose, people respect me. And when I come into the, into the marketplace and they say, oh, Rabbi, I have this, you know, I have this burning question about the Torah. Can you help me with this? Oh, gosh. You know, they love this praise of people and, and they struggle with that, even though they know Jesus is the Messiah. And there's a lot on the line. History tells us we don't know anything more about Joseph of Arimathea, but we do know um, that Nicodemus became a believer. Well, he was a believer, but he, he became outspoken. He ended up losing everything. And his daughter put not only him, but his whole household. And there's an account um, of, of somebody that ran into his daughter, apparently, and, and, and she was destitute as well and talked about her father. Gave it up. Gave it up. Well, that's what we all supposed to do. Yeah. That's the call of the gospel. But, uh, but I think it's important that we understand that, that you know, it's not all I know. black and white, I know. right? And, 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 and so in your own life, you know, you have those people. We all know those people who are smart, intellectual, you know, well-connected, wealthy people, you know, um, that kind of thing. You don't know what God's doing in their heart. And maybe it may take them a while, you know, but the Lord can work there too. Amen. He absolutely can. There's no reason you can't reach them. And if he's put them on your heart to pray for or to talk to and befriend, and, you know, a lot of those people don't have real friends. And a lot of wealthy people, well-connected, the higher up you go, the more people smile at you and, you know, and everything. And but secretly, they want to get something out of this, right? And uh, it's kind of, I think, refreshing for them to have somebody who genuinely cares about them and praying for you. How, how's your how's your wife doing? You know, how's that child surgery? Right? You know, um, don't run away from them. Be faithful to plant the seeds. Exactly. Be faithful. And warn them about this, too. This is a warning here, right? Whose glory are you seeking? You know? Whose glory are you seeking? And there's a warning here for all of us, too. Um, it is not limited to the rich and powerful. Uh, it, it's a problem for us as well. A sin that we need to avoid. All right, and we need to finish uh, actually a little early because we got to get set up. And we got to start this morning exactly at 1045, okay? So please, let's do that. Yes, Rick. You know who Tony Dungy is? Tony Dungy is a coach of the Indianapolis Colts for years. Believe me, bless the Lord, pray for his team. Well, his son took his life while he was still coach of Indianapolis. Devastated the man, devastated the family. Years later, they found a note that the son had done. He said, I've got everything I need, but I'm still missing something. So he blamed himself and his wife because he said, I wasn't there for him. I forget, some other coach or some other pro team quoted and said, you give him everything you could, it was his choice to choose the Lord or not. But see, I'm just saying this, this man had all the money, the kid probably had anything he wanted, mm -hmm. but he just wasn't happy because he didn't have the Lord Jesus. He was right there in front of him the whole time, I, I would assume. But uh, I don't know if you ever heard that story. I didn't hear, I've heard uh, of him. Yeah. His yeah. son took his life, yeah. And I think he was like in his 15, 16 year old. Wow. Um, 
That's a hard lesson to learn there. Very good reads. Yeah, he's got about five books. The one <clears throat> that one's called Quiet Strength. Very good. I don't have it on TV. Oh. That's a very good book. On Tony Dungeon? Yeah. Yeah. Quiet Strength. He was a, he, he he was very much a very devout Christian of the Lord Jesus. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, you don't know what's going on in other people's life. That's right. I think the Lord was afraid of uh, maybe man before he was God. Yeah. I think the proverb that, that Jesus gives us in, in chapter 7, uh, verse 24, I think it is, where he says, Stop judging by appearances. Learn to judge righteous judgment. I think that applies here too, right? Don't judge by appearances. The person may look like they have it all together. Or the other way around. Or the other way around. Right. But maybe we used to love, uh, love to have Todd come. Yep. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, forgive us for the, for the sin of the fear of man. We're, we're all guilty of it uh, at times in our lives. Maybe now, maybe, maybe less so. I, I think as I'm getting older, I, I hope it's less of a, an influence in my life as I realize that, that every person... We all have feet of clay. We all have uh, things that we hide from others. Um, that we don't want the rest of the world to see because we're ashamed of them. And, and, uh, and, and it's true of everybody. But Lord, we, we still struggle at times with this. And so I pray that you will help us to seek your glory first. To recognize that your valuation of us is the one that really matters. Uh, that we may hear those words that mean more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what matters. Help us to remember that even this week as we confront bosses or other people with power and influence. So to remember that they have what they have because you put them there. And you can take it away as quickly and as easily as you gave it to them. That's the theme of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that as well. And so... Uh, Thank you so much for your word. Wash us again in it. Amen. Show your blessing on, on big picture um, this morning and this evening. Today. And the years ahead <clears throat> for this little assembly, we thank you that we have our good and great shepherd uh, who gave his life and, and still guides us even now, walks with us through all the ups and downs of life. We pray this in, in his name. Amen. Amen.